0: Hey folks, this is Kevin. On this episode you'll hear Beowulf Jones. She tells me to take off my clothes and lay on the bed. So I do. I take off my clothes and I lay on the bed, face down, and um... (laughs) That and more. But before
1: that, I just want to say, you guys might know, Chris Castiglione created the RISC website. And one of the main reasons he was an irreplaceable part of the team was that he taught himself how to code. And now he's developed this brilliant and incredibly user-friendly class called One Month HTML that will teach you how to code in less than a month. Coding is the most desired job skill out there now. Everyone wants a website and being able to do it yourself is real empowerment. One month HTML is the easiest way to learn code. You build an actual website, you'll be welcomed into a community of over 12,000 people. There's hours of easy to follow videos, hands-on exercises and training. And the best part, if you get stuck, There's always someone there to help you out. So enroll now at onemonth.com slash risk. Enrollment's typically $99, but if you join now, you'll get a one-time discount of 25% off and you'll be helping to support risk. Again, it's one month HTML, 30 minutes a day for 30 days, and you'll be able to code HTML and CSS on your own. onemonth.com slash risk. Now here's the show. Kids, this is Risk, the show where people tell true stories they never thought they'd dare to share. I'm Kevin Allison, and this is Bacalau behind me now, unless, of course, that's not how you pronounce their name. Today's episode is live from Max FunCon. Now, as you know, Risk is a proud member of the Maximum Fun network of podcasts, and a few times a year, Jesse Thorne, who is the founder of Max Fun and the uh, host of Jordan Jesse Go and Bullseye, throws a big party. Uh, this one, Max Fun Con, that happens out west, happens at Lake Arrowhead. And it's for anyone who loves Max Fun shows, as well as lots of comedians and writers come. So this year, Jesse thought it would be fun to have Risk at Max FunCon, up on top of a mountain at Lake Arrowhead. And when I got to the top of that mountain, I was immediately so nauseous and dizzy. You know, I suffer from positional vertigo on occasion, and I didn't realize that high altitudes like that would make it kick in the way it did. I, I arrived, was immediately bedridden, and could not host the show. But fortunately, Beowulf Jones was there, who hosts the show out in Los Angeles at the Nerd Melt Theater normally, so he took over the reins for me. For this episode, we're going to play three of the stories that were performed that night, but I'll tell you, Jonathan Ames, the author and the guy who produces the show Bored to Death... On uh, HBO. He told a beauty of a story, but is uh, not so sure he wants us to run it. So if you ever run into John of the Names, tell him, oh, please, 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 one day let the Risk podcast run that story you told. In any case, the three we do have to present to you today are just wonderful. So let's get to it. This is Risk live at Max FunCon. <music>
0: I'm Beowulf Jones. And I did not expect to be here either. Um, You know how every sitcom has that episode where there's the high school rock fest and then right as they're about to go on, someone has laryngitis and they're like, Kirk Cameron, it has to be you. Tonight, I am Kirk Cameron. Thank you. Thank you. Subway sandwiches all around for everyone. So, thank you so much for uh, coming to Risk. I am the host of the L.A. show over at Nerd Melt with Sarah Benincasa. And, yes, the perks of doing this show were, one, I get to do a show with Kevin, and two, I finally don't have to host. Um, But uh, (laughs) but Jesse already made that joke. And... uh, (laughs) And I'm a little bitter, because uh, the amount of time, like from when you guys sat down in the chair to when this show started, that's more time than I had to write a monologue. So I was really counting on that joke. That was my opener. (laughs) But no, we're we're gonna persevere. We'll get through it. We'll get through it. I have a text from Kevin, which he would like me to, are you guys big Kevin fans? (laughs) Okay, this this is... Wow, extra. Uh, This is being recorded, and Kevin will listen to it. And I know he feels horrible about not being here. So on the count of three, can we all say, Kevin Allison, we love you? Is that something we can do here? Okay. One, two, three. Kevin Allison, we love you! Now, guys, this is a message from Kevin. My beloved Max Funsters, first, let me just say you look terrific. I like what you've done with your beard. (laughs) I'll just go ahead and assume you feel the same way about mine. It truly pains me to say that I arrived at this gorgeous place this afternoon feeling a little weird in the head. That is to say, weirder than usual. Then I started sweating a bit more than you might find sexy and began to feel a little, shall we say, barfy. Uh, It occurred to me that if I were to host Risk tonight and God forbid barf on some of you It would be a lot like what my friends in the BDSM community call a Roman shower (laughs) ah, Roman shower fan front row Uh, But still the chances are slim I would hit the one or two of you who are undoubtedly kinked that way And I like to keep things consensual and In any case, what do you mean, ah, we keep things consensual at maximum fun? In any case, my good friend Beowulf is a delightful fellow, thank you. And this, all right, that's more appreciation than any audience has ever shown me ever. And that's what, that's what risk is about people coming together. Uh, in any case my good friend Beowulf is a delightful fellow and the stories we've planned for tonight are full of laughs chills and tears so you're in for a treat and if I'm feeling better tomorrow and if any of you are gay, Asian and male please rest assured I want to lick your butt (laughs) yours in feverish weirdness let's talk about the butt licking um I think that's the natural thing to stem off from. Do you guys know that in addition to performing, Kevin is also a teacher? thats He was actually my teacher. I took a sketch writing class from him and I took a class on storytelling, but he teaches a new class now. I'm not making this up. The class is called Everything You Can Do to an Ass Other Than Fuck It. And and when I heard that, I thought, Kevin, that is ridiculous. There is no need for that class. There's so many things you can do to an ass. You can lick it, you can slap it, and then I drew a blank. I could not think of a single other thing to do with an ass. I'm like, fuck, I have to take this class. <laughs> and I don't want to take this class. I'm, I am not a member of the BDSM community. I get all those needs filled through listening to Kevin's stories. Um... <laughs> But Kevin and I get along very well because we both have very flawed logic, which is, you know, I, I just remember, this is a memory coming back to me, uh, we were at the People's Improv Theater in New York once and we wanted to smoke a joint, so I was like, okay, let's just go to the bathroom and smoke, and he's like, well, don't you think people will think it's weird that we're going in the bathroom? And I said, no, 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 they'll just think we're doing coke and he was like, oh, okay, well, let's go then." <laughs> But I am so happy to be here. We have such an incredible show for you guys. So what do you say? Should we quit my spiel and just get on with the show? All right. Uh, I am so excited for our first performer of the evening. He is an NPR host of State of the Reunion. And also, you guys, this is so cool. He was on Deaf Poetry. Uh, he is a great guy I'm so happy to have him on the show ladies and gentlemen please put your hands together for Al Letson
2: hey 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 I escaped from Florida too where are my Florida peoples in the house I mean thank you sir good to see you glad you got away. Um, So yeah, my name is Al Letson. I do a lot of different things, uh, but I wasn't always called Al Letson. When I was a kid, everybody called me Alfie. Let me tell you, like, it was torture because that was, like, not too long after the Michael Caine movie came out and everybody would sing, what's it all about, Alfie? You know this song. Please don't ever sing it again. Anyway, um so as as a kid um I was an only child. I was pretty lonely uh, i I like to think of myself as the original Calvin and Hobbes like I had like this crazy imagination, and for the most part, I entertained myself. But in my little six year old heart, I had a deep, deep, longing desire. I wanted a sibling so bad. I mean, like, it was all I talked about, all I dreamed about. I needed to have somebody that could play with me, someone that we could have fun with. And at six years old, I really didn't know much about how that worked. I just knew that I had to talk to my parents to make it happen. And I'm really comfortable with saying, like, I was one of the cutest kids ever. But I was also one of the most irritating little fucks ever. (laughs) And I could talk so much and so long. So I just talked, talk, 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 talk and begged my mom and dad, please, 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 please until one day they decided that they were going to give in and they said, Hey We're going to adopt. And at six years old, this sounds really fucking cool. Because suddenly, like, I get a kid that I can instantly go out and play with. Like, I don't have to do the diapers and the baby stuff. Like, I can get a kid my age. We could just have fun. This would be great. Excellent. So, I don't know how adoptions work these days, but back then... Uh, and this is like in the early 80s, you like would go to a place, you'd meet a couple kids. If you liked one, then they'd come home for a day or two then they go back, and then they come back for a week or two, and then they go back and forth, until finally they stayed for, like, six months. And then after that six-month period, then, you know, both parties would decide if you wanted to stay together. So uh, we went to this place, and I met a couple kids, and they were uh, younger than me or about my age. And I don't know, like, we just didn't hit it off. They were kind of boring. They were really square. And... and <laughs> And I was really square, so if I I was super nerd, so if I was really square, then they were doubly square. And then we went like, so at the time I was living in Plainfield, New Jersey, uh, which is you know at the time it was kind of Um, But then we went down to I don't want to say an orphanage, but an adoption center in Newark, New Jersey. And back then, Nork was the ghetto. It was hardcore. Like you didn't go to Brick City at all unless you absolutely had to. But we went down there and we met this kid and his name was Lawan. And from the minute I met him, like I loved this kid. He was so cool. I mean, he knew how to talk to women, the little girls that were walking around. Um, he had cool sneakers on. They were beat up and ugly, but they were cool. I mean, he, he was just cool. And when my parents walked away, he was cursing with me, I was like, This is great. Like, I never cursed in my life. He taught me how to say motherfucker. That was amazing. So... I loved this kid, and he would come to the house, and, and we hung out, and then we did the whole, uh, you know, six-month thing when he was there, and and and, and that was good. We, just, we did a lot of traveling. We ended up going to see family all over to introduce him to family and see how that was going. And when he got there, you know, I had just gotten this brand-new bike, this BMX bike that I loved, but I still have my old bike. So now that I got my brother, you know. I let him use my new bike and i would just take my old one so it was cool and everything was going well We decided that we were going to go through with the adoption. Great. So we do the adoption. Everything's fine. I've already taken him around the neighborhood. But now that he is my brother, I want to reintroduce him to everybody because I am so proud. And when I introduce him to all the kids, the kids, they they, they love him. They think he's cool. Again, he's like teaching us how to smoke cigarettes that were on the ground. It was disgusting, but we thought it was cool. (laughs) So nasty, I can I totally have this image of like picking up this cigarette with lipstick on it and smoking it like <clears throat> So, you know, my brother was the epitome of cool. <clears throat> but down the road, just a little bit outside of our neighborhood, was the cul-de-sac. And, like, I didn't even really know what a cul-de-sac was. I just knew if someone said the cul-de-sac, where they were talking about, and you stayed the hell away from the cul-de-sac. Because at the cul-de-sac was a kid named Gerard. And Gerard was older than us. He was 16, and he was the neighborhood bully. And everybody in this cul-de-sac was his family. So you couldn't go down there and mess with him because he had a a ready-made army. And he would come through our little neighborhood and just terrorize everybody. And we were all scared to death of Gerard. Nobody ever went down there. But now, I've got a cool big brother. And I'm seven, my brother is 10, and side note, really weird that my parents adopted an older kid. Really fucking weird. (laughs) I'm a parent now, and I'm just like, what the hell were you thinking? I mean, that just does not make any damn sense. But whatever. Back to the story. Now... I got an older brother, you know? I mean, Luan is 10. And we're going down to the cul-de-sac, damn it, because I'm going to show him off. So we get down there, and all of Gerard's cousins were out there, and Gerard was there. And I introduced my brother, and Gerard and my brother just stared at each other like two pit bulls. They just circled and really didn't say anything. And then Gerard started picking on me like he normally does. You know, he would talk about my shoes and talk about my bike. Now, my old bike was light blue, and he just loved to talk about how. How light blue and corny it was anyway so my brother did not like this kid picking on me and my brother gets into his face and lawan starts talking bad to him and telling him that he better watch his mouth and me and my little friends are like ooh, for the first time gerard is getting it and then gerard the 16 year old balled his fists, and punched my brother, the 10-year-old, in the face. And my brother falls on the ground like a sack of potatoes. And everybody just can't believe what just happened, and Gerard moves in. Now, his family comes and grabs him to restrain him. And my brother, who is 10 years old, gets up, and he is ready to fight. Like, he is not scared. He is not crying. He doesn't care. He is determined he is going to whip Gerard's ass but not going to happen. His family separates us, put us on our bike, and we start to ride away. And my brother looks at Gerard, and he says, I'm going to come back. I'm going to get you. So we rode away, and I'm, as we're riding off, I'm like, damn, he is a badass. He just got punched in the face. And he's talking about he's coming back. So my brother told me, do not say anything to my mother. I was like, cool, whatever. That night, we're in our room, in our brand-new bunk beds, and I'm telling my brother, like, yo, Gerard's a jerk, don't worry about him. I'm trying to comfort him and everything. And my brother is so mad, like he hasn't talked the whole time since we've been home. And he gets down off of the top bunk, and he comes over to me, and he grabs me, and he says, the only reason why I stayed here is because I wanted your bike. Oh. And then he proceeds to beat my ass. And when I tell you he beat my ass my brother was very skilled like he didn't hit me in the face he only did body blows that hurt like a motherfucker but you know he made sure that there were no marks and i remember sitting in the bed crying trying to decide if i was going to tell my mother and i thought like if i tell my parents then they were going to send lawan back and if i told them and they didn't send him back then he was going to beat me again so I thought, okay, I'm just not gonna say anything because, you know, I, I wanted this kid to be my brother. For the next three years, my brother continued to beat me up on a regular. If he thought I told on him, he would beat me up. If he thought I scraped his shoes, he would beat me up. If he had a bad day at school, he would come home and beat me up. And this was just the normal thing. Back in the day, we used to watch uh, karate flicks. And, and I don't know if any of you did this in your neighborhoods, but in New Jersey, we would uh, Saturday mornings, we'd watch karate flicks, and then we'd go in the street and try to do kung fu on each other. Um, my brother could out-kung fu every damn body in the neighborhood. And he somehow got some Chinese stars and he decided that like I was gonna be his uh, practice. And the thing is, is like when he tells you that I'm gonna practice with you, you don't have a choice because he'd throw him at you either way. So either you stand still and hope he doesn't hit you or you try to run away and you definitely get hit. These are these the kind of things that happened for the next three years. And then my parents come and tell us that they are pregnant and having a baby. What the fuck, you're having a baby? I asked for a kid three years ago, and they're having a baby now. So literally within three years, I go from being an only child to a middle child. Who does that happen to? So... Here I am, middle child, and my parents decide that we need a bigger house now, so we have to move. So we start packing everything up to go. They found a house, whatever. The last day we're in the neighborhood, my parents tell me, "Um, you guys go out, ride your bikes, say goodbye to your friends, blah, blah, blah. All right. So we get out the house, and we're going to the bikes, and my brother grabs me, and he says, look, I want you to ride down to the cul-de-sac and start a fight with Gerard hell no, I'm not going down there to fight Gerard. If you don't fight Gerard, I'm going to fight you. Now, at this point, I'm 10 years old, and I've begun to learn the game of how to stay away from the pit bull that is my brother, and how to keep him happy. And I realized, if I didn't go down there to start the fight with Gerard, then my brother was going to beat me up. And it was a calculated risk. Gerard might kill me, but my brother would torture me for the rest of my life, and I'd rather have a quick death. So... I figured, fine, I would just do it. So I got on my bike and rode to the cul-de-sac by myself and that was the longest ride. And when I got down there, Gerard is out. He's older now, he's 19. He's still got his cousins, they're all hanging. I'm a little 10 year old kid. I put my bike down and I go over and I just start talking mess to Gerard. I specifically remember that I said to Gerard, like your mother wears combat boots. I think that was a thing back then, but I don't know why. (laughs) So, you know, I'm talking all of this smack, and Gerard is just getting more angry, you know? And I could see him begin to move in. Now, what I didn't know at the time is that my brother had left the house and gone the opposite direction and gone from behind the block. And behind the block, there was a park. Now, in that park, it connected, it went right up into the back of the cul-de-sac. My brother rode into the park, Uh, parked his bike climbed up a hill waited behind a house and he could see everything that was going on he was just hidden and so as gerard moved in and got really close to me my brother ran from behind one of the houses gerard's moving in on me my brother taps his shoulder and when gerard turns around my brother turns to him with a brick in his hand and bashes him in the head Gerard falls on the ground, blood gushing out. My brother begins to kick him really hard, looks down on him and says, I told you don't mess with the Letson boys. I swear to God I'm not lying. Everybody is speechless because they are watching this little maniac kick this kid. And finally, when the days wears off, people begin to move towards us. My brother grabs me, throws me on the handlebars of my little blue bike, and we ride all the way home. We get home. My parents are pretty much done. We pack stuff up. I put my bike in the back. My brother tells him he left his bike in the park. They drive around, pick up his bike, and we go to our new house. That night we're in the new house and um everything is strange like the sounds are different i've just watched my brother like bust some dude's head open like literally i thought gerard was dead you know and it was just this really surreal moment and i remember sitting in the bed being really quiet cuz i didn't know what to say i didn't want to upset my brother i didn't want him to come down and bash me in the head but he leaned over and he looked at me And he said, for the rest of your life, nobody is ever going to pick on you again. Now, he probably should have said, for the rest of your life, nobody but me is going to pick on you again. And for the rest of my teenage years, my brother held true. Whenever there was a problem, my pit bull would come out and attack and take care of me. He'd also beat my ass later on, but he always took care of me. And I realized that, yeah, I had adopted a pit bull, but that pit bull was always my brother. Thank you.
0: Keep it going for Al Edson. I was adopted too. I uh, I always wished I had a brother. So I don't know if you're in the market for a third yeah, one. Let's do it. Okay, we'll, we'll 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 sort out the details backstage. You know what impressed me the most about that story is when his brother said, "Leave no marks." That's something that they say like in spy films. And and this is kid's ten, and he already knows about that. You adopted like a ten-year-old Ernst Stavros Blofeld. <laughs> Are you guys having fun? All right. All right. This guy, George R.R. Martin here, is, uh, <laughs> is really digging it. Um, I'm going to tell you what uh, one of my uh, biggest fears is. I'm afraid of having all the tools I need to compete and still not being able to compete. When I was 18 years old, I was fed up with the staggering amount of sex that I was not having. So I came up with a solution. I would lose my virginity to a hooker. Now, I got the contact info from my crystal meth friend, crystal meth Alex. He was, uh, he, he was part of that world, like Ariel. And... And what he said to me was, this is a pager, you dial it, leave your phone number, and somebody will call you back. So I rushed home and locked myself inside my parents' office, which was the only room in the house with a caller ID box. And I dialed, and I waited. And before too long, the phone rang, and, and nervously I snatched it up, you know, our, like looking around the locked room to make sure I was still alone. I just like grabbed it, and I was like, hello? And... I don't know what voice I was looking to come out of the other end of that phone. Like, if I thought it was gonna be some 1940s Biloxi Blues Madam Spring perfume all through the parlor, I would just like pick it up and be like, hello. But uh, the voice that came out was, hey, how are ya? It was bright. It was chipper. It was the female version of me, which is essentially all I'm looking for in the first place. So I said, hello. And she said, hey, how are you? And then a third voice came on the line. It was my father. Because you know how people are when they're old and confused? And they think if the phone has rang any time in the last hour, then there's a good chance someone is still waiting for the line to be picked up. So I said, hello? And she said, hey, how are you? And then Dad goes, hello? And I said, I got it, Dad. And, And he goes... All right. You okay? And I said, yep, yeah, I'm fine. Uh, You can hang up. And he goes, well, are you going to be home for supper tonight? Because your mom is cooking roast beef and Yorkshire puddings. And I'm like, I am going, figuring out right now if I'm going to be around. You can can hang up the phone. And he goes, okay, I'll let you go then. And uh, he hangs up, and the plans are made. I am going to the Baymont Hotel by Cleveland Hopkins Airport to meet the woman who will take my virginity. And you guys, to me, this was so romantic. (laughs) It it was so romantic. It was, because I was naive. I I was immature. I didn't know how things worked. Like, in my mind, I thought, okay, all right. This girl has maybe taken a few wrong turns, but, but once she meets me, sees the purity emanating from my heart, well, then she will quit this line of work and we will run off together and have a million babies. That was my attitude going in. As far as I was concerned, that was the most likely outcome of this encounter and my heart was just soaring as I pulled into the Baymont I was listening to I was singing along to my favorite romantic song at the time which was Angel Flying Too Close to the Ground by Willie Nelson but yeah but it wasn't the Willie Nelson version I was listening to it was my high school band covering it (laughs) with me on lead vocals so, as I'm pulling into the Baymont, I'm singing at the top of my lungs to me, singing back to myself, and I see a police cruiser slowly patrolling the lot. And I'm like, oh, fuck. Is, is is this a bust? Is this a bust? Am I am I being set up? And And I park, and I gather myself together, and I'm scared. But the glory of love gives me the courage to get out of my car and walk into the Baymont. And I don't know If any of you ever have to walk in front of a cop when you're planning on doing something wrong. But whenever it's me, I'm always like, okay, just, just walk like normal. Walk like you're not going to do anything wrong. And, and I feel like I'm not walking right. And I'm like, well, how does an innocent person walk? I think an innocent person walks like this. And I got to the door, and I went into the lobby, and everyone's eyes were on me. It was like there was a gust of wind from their collective wide eye-opening. It just went like... <sighs> And I become super aware of my environment. I go into this William Faulkner sensory overload. Like, every sound, every smell, every sight, it's, I'm seeing them all at once and individually. And I look over, and by the check-in desk, there's a well-dressed man, and he looks at someone that I can't see, and he goes... And then he starts to follow me. And I get in the elevator, and he gets in the elevator... And I push a button to my floor. And he doesn't push a button. As the elevator doors open, I see that there's no twists or turns in this hallway. It's just one long corridor that goes all the way back. And as I pass each door, and he's not going in any of them, I get more and more scared. And finally, I get to the room at the very end of the hall, which is the room I'm going to, and he stops at the one right next to it. And as I'm knocking on my door, and he's keying his, we look over at each other, and I don't know who this guy is, but he had to know that there was something shady going on. And when he left me alone in the hallway, I thought again, is, is, this, is this a bust? Is this, this, something doesn't smell right. I should, I, you know, I'm just gonna cut my losses and, and get out of here, I'm just gonna go right now. And right as I was about to leave the door open and she was there and I forgot about everything. <laughs> um, now, I'm not gonna be crass. I am not going to describe to you what she was wearing. But if you were an 18-year-old looking to lose your virginity to a hooker, you would not be disappointed. (laughs) And the next thing I noticed was like, oh my God, she's old. She is old. She is so old. Like... Like, 23, which was super old to me at the time. Like, if the 2014 version of me was to run into this girl, I'm sure I'd be like, Jesus Christ, you're just a fucking baby. What are you doing with your life? Come on, we'll we'll sort this out. There's better options for you. You don't need to do this. But at the time, I was like, oh, there is a maturity and sophistication coming out of this woman that I will never be able to match. And I'm not good at describing makeup, but it was like... <laughs> It it, it was harsh. Does that make any sense? It was like really angular and and caked on. Like if someone was to throw a dart at her face, it would just like stick in the side and she wouldn't even feel it. And that's when I realized, oh, there's nothing romantic about this at all she's not going to run away with me and have a million babies. To her, this is just a business transaction. And again, I get scared. And as I walk in the room, I give myself a silent pep talk. I'm like, okay, we're switching gears. We're going to plan B. You do not need to impress this person. You do not need to tell her your life story. You are here for one reason and one reason only, and that is to take care of business. One minute later, I'm in the room going, well, ultimately, what I would like to do is direct. <laughs> I, I give her the money. It's six weeks' worth of paychecks from Mammoth Video. <laughs> she tells me to take off my clothes and lay on the bed. So I do. I take off my clothes, and I lay on the bed, face down. And... Um, <laughs> <laughs> And, and she straddles me like around my waist and, and starts massaging me with lotion and I just lock up like except for the occasional like spasm because I had never been touched before I, I, I mean I'd been hit but I, I had never been sensually touched and in my head I'm like I'm being touched this is what being touched is like is, does this feel good is this supposed to feel good I heard touching feels good I don't know if I feel good why don't I know what I feel somebody tell me what I feel When the massage portion of the evening was over, I silently slid off the bed and grabbed a condom out of my jeans, which I had brought along very considerately, not realizing she would have 35,000 of them up on (laughs) the desk. And this was my first condom, so I'm like, all right, where am I supposed to tear this? And there was this look in her eyes that just said, game over. And she goes, I can't do this. And I said, what do you mean you can't do this? You have to do this. I paid you to do this. We we are going to do this. And I don't know if she really believed this or if she was just fishing for an excuse, but she goes, how do I know you're not a cop? And I said, cop? What is this, 21 Jump Street? I'm 18 years old. I'm stick thin. I don't even look like I'm old enough to drive. I am not a cop. And I can sense that this is rapidly spiraling out of my control, and I'm desperate to salvage it. So I ask what I felt to be a reasonable question. I said, do you have any friends you could recommend? And again, she says, how do I know you're not a cop? So I show her my driver's license, which is a brilliant move on my part, because as everybody knows, police officers do not get driver's licenses. (laughs) You know, as soon as you get the gun and the badge, the captain was like, I will take that license from you. Thank you very much. And so I said, look, I paid you for the hour. Are you telling me we're through? And she says, and I'll never forget this, not unless you want to conversate. And no, no, I I didn't. I, I, I didn't want to conversate. But what I did want was value for my money. So I stayed in the room the entire hour, did not say one word to her, we just watched Sally, Jesse, Raphael. And at this point, what little masculinity that I had was just obliterated. I mean, I had the hotel room, I had the money, I had the hooker, I had the penis, I had all the tools I needed to compete, and I still could not compete. And to this day, whenever I see any of my Ohio friends, they still call me Beowulf can't get a hooker to fuck him Jones. (laughs) Thank you.
1: Is Risk. This is Genesis behind me now. Very rare track. It was on the non-live side of the album Three Sides Live, a song called You Might Recall. I know Beowulf loves Genesis and I love this song in particular, so I thought I'd throw it on here. We have one last story for you on today's episode. Now, this was not performed at the live Max Fun Con show, but this story was told by one of the most important people in the Max Fun community. Jordan Morris is the deservedly beloved co-host of the super popular Max Fun podcast called Jordan Jesse Go. You can find him on Twitter at Jordan underscore Morris, and here he is now at the Risk Live show in Los Angeles with a story we call Geek Love.
3: It's been widely acknowledged that the word nerd doesn't mean the same thing now that it meant 20 years ago. When I was a kid, uh, it was something you got called on the bus before someone sat on you and subsequently farted on you. Uh, This someone was usually a 12-year-old in a no-fear shirt and puka shell necklace. (laughs) Uh, Nowadays, every guy with frosted tips who wears a Superman shirt to the gym says he's such a huge geek. The common feeling is that nerd stuff is now cool, but even in today's supposedly enlightened pop culture climate, I contend that there's still a strain of prejudice against people with certain proclivities. Uh, When you're a fan of video games, comics, sci-fi, whatever, you tend to accumulate a lot of Objects. Objects I'll lovingly refer to from here as nerd shit. (laughs) I have a ton of nerd shit. The most cumbersome items are the arcade perfect joysticks for fighting games like Street Fighter or Mortal Kombat. They can cost upwards of $300, but they perfectly replicate the arcade experience and allow you to play the games as God intended. (laughs) Uh, when I got in my first apartment, I displayed my nerd shit with reckless abandon. I splayed out my stacks of video games and comic books with the sh- same shamelessness that a cat has when it splays its legs to lick its own ass. <laughs> the only times where this was an issue were when a woman would come over, uh, specifically for sex. Uh, Now, before I continue, I will say that I do know there are plenty of women out there who play games and read comics and self-identify as geeks. You're all wonderful and beautiful, and please find me on Facebook later. Uh, That being said, uh, I can recall having one woman come over to my first apartment when she saw my uh, Nintendo GameCube in the living room. She said, what's that? Do you use that to jerk off? (laughs) Now, in addition to being pretty insulting, this is also very confusing. Uh, Did she mean that I used one hand to jack off while playing games, or did she mean that I used the console like some sort of pocket pussy? I mean, I guess I could, like, slam my dick in the little door that I opened to put the the discs in. That's a fun Freudian slip. You know what? Discs does sound like dicks. Uh, But yes, pretty painful. Uh, I guess there's guys who like put their balls in vices so anything's possible. Uh, However you slice it, uh, I think her opinion was indicative of a larger confusion amongst non-gamers. The only way she could fathom a grown man spending hours and hours in a fantasy world uh, was if he was also jacking off there too. Uh, My gay friends talk about a process that goes on when their more conservative family members come to visit. It's a process called de-gaying the house. (laughs) Now this is where you take down any Tom of Finland prints you might have up or you delete any episodes of Smash from the DVR, that kind of thing. After being embarrassed enough times, I did something similar. I de-geeked the apartment. Uh, my video games all went into a tasteful wicker chest from Pier 1, and all of my comics went into a plastic bin, and they were shoved under the bed. With their boards and bags, of course. Uh, I haven't stopped playing video games, or reading comics, or re-watching the same 10 episodes of Futurama over and over again. I guess I would just rather the first thing people see when they come into my apartment to be my adorable vintage furniture. Uh, this approach was going really, really well, sexually speaking. Uh, it was a few months into my de-geeking, and I was dating this really, really amazing woman. Uh, she had some geekier interests, but it was more kind of in the realm of film and literature and stuff. Uh, she read The New Yorker, loved Dario Argento and David Foster Wallace. Uh, now I can comfortably hang in this zone for a little bit. I have Infinite Jest, and I do intend to read it. (laughs) Uh, So we bonded over stuff like that and it was going really good until one night uh, when we were doing it. Like really, really hard. Uh, She was on top of me and my Ikea bed sounded like it was about to collapse in that special way that only an Ikea product can. (laughs) Like, we were doing it so hard, we were scooting the bed back farther and farther from the wall, and she was just screaming and screaming, and then out of nowhere, she started laughing. Just laughing and laughing, and because I'm such a smooth operator, I said, what? (laughs) And she said, oh my god, you have Batman comics under your bed when the bed had scooted back from the wall, it revealed my secret shame. Uh, So what to do next? Uh, Part of me felt like I was being bullied on the bus, and one option was to run away crying. Uh, Another option would be to get her off me and calmly explain how Frank Miller's Dark Knight Returns single-handedly redefined the superhero genre. (laughs) But instead, I just started giving it to her harder. Like, really, really giving it to her, and the laughing just turned back into you know, sex noises. And in the moment, I kind of felt like I was proving something to myself. I was saying to her and to every person who had ever made me feel guilty for liking stuff, yes, I may love Batman comics, but I'm also kinda good at sex. Uh, thanks. (laughs) thanks.
1: All for this week, folks, this is group love behind me now. And don't forget that we are in Chicago, Illinois, on July 22nd, 2014. We are at the Thrust Space. (laughs) But to find out more, you can always go to risk-show.com slash tour. And then again, of course, on July 24th, we are at our normal spots of residence, The Pit in New York, and the NerdMelt Theater in Los Angeles. That's both on July 24, 2014. So come out and see us. Make sure to look for us online also on Twitter and Facebook, at Risk Show. On Twitter, I am at Allison. And remember, Risk is a proud member of the Maximum Fun network of podcasts and uh, we very much are listener supported we rely on the financial help of our fans so go to maximumfund.org donate and become a member or make a one-time donation and be sure to earmark your contribution for risk don't forget also folks that we teach storytelling at the storystudio.org. all sorts of different ways to get in on that well With all that said, I guess that is about it, folks. Today's the day. Take a risk.